0: Well, it is a wonderful privilege to be able to share God's Word with you this evening. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, This evening, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. And as you're turning there, I will remind you that this fall, we are doing a series on the one-anothers of Scripture. We'll be looking at a whole bunch of different topics this fall that relate with our interactions with one another in the body of Christ, in the congregation of God. And as you know, last week, Pastor Wegner started off our series uh, by taking us through the topic of loving one another. And this evening, we continue with this series by looking at the topic of forgiving one another. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be looking at the famous passage of Scripture that is commonly known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. Now, there are many passages that we could look at in Scripture this evening that deal with the topic of forgiveness, but this parable in particular cuts to the heart of what enables a person to forgive. It is only when we see the extent of God's mercy shown to us that we are able to extend that mercy to others. Tonight, we're going to look at this remarkable story that Jesus tells, and he tells it in response to a question that was raised by Peter. What was the question that Peter raised, and what was Jesus' response to it? Well, let's turn to God's word together. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Hear the word of God. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? as many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. In seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my Heavenly Father, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Amen. And this ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this evening. And oftentimes, Lord, as we come to passages like this in Scripture, we are reminded of the times that we have failed in this area, of the times that we have not extended forgiveness as we should. And so, Lord, we pray that you would remind us of the forgiveness that we have received and that we would be eager to forgive one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. For it's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is a remarkable story, isn't it? Like many of Jesus' parables, this story is a story of contrasts. You have a master and a servant. You have a large sum of money, and you have a very small sum of money. You have, ex- you have extraordinary kindness on the one hand, and you have extreme cruelty on the other. But through it all, I think our Lord is teaching us an important lesson, and that is, that we must forgive others as we've been forgiven. Well, I think as we look at the topic of forgiveness this evening, uh, you know, forgiveness is one of the hardest tasks of the Christian life. Some of us come here tonight with real hurts from our past, real wounds, real ways that people have um, wounded us. And in fact, if we had time this evening, we could go around this room and each of you could share a story about how you've been offended by someone else or sinned against by someone else. It could have been a coworker, it could have been a neighbor, it could have been a spouse, a child, or even someone in the church. Or maybe you have offended someone else that you still owe an apology to, and you've been putting it off and you've been hesitating to forgive that person because you know that it will be costly for you to forgive them. And that is because with forgiveness, there is always a cost. It might be a cost to your reputation. It might be a cost to your peace of mind, a cost to your relationship. Forgiveness can take blood, sweat, and tears. And so how are we to forgive when it is so painful for us? Well, I think that this parable helps to address that question. It is only when we see the extent of God's mercy shown to us his grace, his compassion, his love in forgiving us, that we begin to forgive our Christian brothers and sisters who have wronged us. But this parable is also a warning that Jesus is giving us against a stingy, unforgiving, unmerciful spirit, isn't it? It is a warning against those who would try to pay the other person back or try to damage the other person's reputation. I think the story is telling us that forgiveness is one of the marks of a true believer in the Lord Jesus. It is only because of the forgiveness that we have that we can show mercy to others. And so as we look at the parable tonight, I think that we can divide the parable into three main sections. First, in verses 23 through 26, we're going to see a large debt that was owed, a debt that was beyond anyone's ability to repay, a a huge debt. Secondly, in verse 27, we're going to see that that debt Was completely forgiven. Every penny of that debt was done away with. And then finally, in verses 28 through 36, we're going to see the consequences of unforgiveness, the consequences of someone whose heart is unmerciful toward others. And so, if you're taking notes this evening, first we're going to see a large debt, secondly, we're going to see a forgiven debt, and then finally, an unforgiven debtor. Well, before we look at the passage this evening, I wanted to provide some brief context. We are, of course, in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and this is the classical text on conflict resolution and church discipline. And Jesus is saying here in this chapter that if your brother sins against you, that you were to go and show uh, that brother the sin, that you were to tell him the fault. And if your brother listens to you, then you have gained your brother. But if he refuses to listen, that you are to take two or more others along. And then if he still refuses to listen to them, then you are to bring the matter before the church. And then if he refuses to listen even to that point, then you are to treat him as you would a pagan. You are to excommunicate him from the fellowship of the church. And it is against this backdrop that Peter comes up with a question. Peter says, let's assume that my brother sins against me. And I go to him, I show him the fault, and he repents of the sin, and I forgive him. How many times should this go on? Should it happen as many as seven times? Perhaps Peter is thinking here that he's going to be rewarded or patted on the back for the suggestion. Well, Peter, that's very generous of you. I was thinking only five times. uh, But since you suggested seven, then then that's very, very good. But I think that what Jesus says here uh, is surprising to Peter. It's not what he expects to hear. Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or in some translations, 70 times seven. In other words, Peter, you are to forgive as often as it takes. You are to forgive without stopping. There are no limits or bounds uh, to the number of times that you are to forgive, And so I think what Jesus is doing here is he's undercutting Peter's approach to mercy. Peter thought that mercy could be something that could be counted or weighed or measured or parceled out. And uh, Jesus is saying here that Peter, no, you need to realize first how much you've been forgiven of your own sins. And then it is with that understanding that your heart will be transformed by what God has done in forgiving you. And with that, then you will be able to freely forgive others. And Jesus is going to, give this answer to Peter's question in the form of a parable. Um, Now, I think it's important to point out here that the context of this dialogue is in the setting of the church. It is how we are to relate with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of God. Jesus is not saying here that we should not punish criminal acts. He is not saying that we should overlook infractions to the law. He is not saying that if someone steals your money that you shouldn't ask for the money back. Uh, True forgiveness is not a setting aside of justice. Uh, It is not a laying aside of it, but it is uh, both mercy and justice are valid norms, and they are both presented in this parable. And so he's not saying that we should overlook someone who is breaking the law, but he's talking about relationships in the congregation of God, relationships in the church. Although the implications of what he's about to tell us extend far beyond the church, but his teaching is primarily concerned with those of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, as we see, the first point this evening is we're going to see the large debt. And you all know how the story goes. Uh, at first, we are introduced to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. And uh, these were, servants were not just any ordinary servants but these servants were ones who had bureaucratic responsibilities in the kingdom. They had administrative-type responsibilities in the kingdom, and they had access to large sums of money, and they were responsible for administering the resources that they had been, for, that they had been given wisely. Uh, I remember in my last job that I had the chance to sit with the commodities traders uh, at our company, and these um, commodities traders... Uh, these co-workers of mine explained to us uh, how they had access to millions of dollars at their disposal. And they described that um, if they were to engage in just one trade in the wrong direction, that it could cost the company millions and millions of dollars. And so they had to be wise with how they were engaging in trade. And in a similar way, these servants had access to millions of dollars at their disposal. And so we're told that one by one, these servants are presented before the king to settle their balances. And we meet a man in verse 24 who has a balance. Uh, he, he has a debt, and uh, he, he doesn't just owe any debt, but he owes a debt to the, to the tune of verse 24 of 10,000 talents. And this might be hard for us to understand today due to monetary differences and so forth, uh, but a talent was the largest denomination of this day. And a single talent would be worth about 20 years' wages for a servant. So if a servant in this day saved all of his money and he never spent a dime and he accumulated all of it, it would take him 200,000 years to pay off the debt. Uh, I read one commentator that noted that Herod the Great's annual revenue for his entire kingdom was only 900 talents. So this man owes 10 times the revenue of Herod's entire uh, kingdom. It It was an untold millions and millions of dollars to the king. It was something that he could never, ever hope to repay. It was an overwhelming debt And I think that there's a lesson here for you and I. And that is, is that we are debtors before God. God's standard is absolute perfection. And if we've broken his law even once, then we are in debt to him. But each time that we sin, whether it be in thought, in word, or in deed, we are building a larger and larger debt. It's kind of like if you tell a lie to someone, and then you get caught in that lie, what do you do? You tell another lie to cover up the first lie. And if you get caught in that one, you tell another lie to cover that one to cover the first one. And so you can see here how very quickly you could accumulate a lot of, uh, a lot of sins, a lot of debt. And pretty soon, you're caught in a downward spiral of sin. But we are adding debt before God every day. And I think Jesus is setting this man's debt at this height to show us that it has no possibility whatsoever of being paid. Our debt before God is virtually infinite. David says in Psalm 130 that if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, then who could stand? The fact of the matter is, is that none of us can make restitution with God on our own. None of us have the resources to pay our own debt. And so when this man stood before the master he heard the verdict. The verdict was that he, his wife, his children, and all of his possessions would be sold to pay off the debt. And so the king does what is right. The king does what is just. The king orders the man and his family into slavery. He treats the servant justly. Well, what does the servant do? If you look with me at verse 26, it says, That the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Notice here that the servant doesn't deny that he owes this huge amount. He doesn't explain to the master how he got into this terrible predicament. He doesn't even offer to make a down payment for his debt. He makes no offer for the simple reason that he has nothing. The man was penniless. The man was utterly bankrupt. And isn't that our condition before God? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. When this life is over and we stand before God, what will we bring to him as a satisfactory payment for our sins. What will we be able to conjure up within, our, within ourselves to pay the debt that is owed from us? What will we bring to him that will be acceptable in his sight? I was reading uh, this past week um, about the life of Martin Luther, and it is reported that the last words that uh, Luther uttered on this earth were the words, We are beggars. And it is true. We come, we come to God in his mercy uh, as beggars. We come not as creditors. We come not to, uh, to, to, uh, because of anything that is due to us, but we come to him out of a sense of our own unworthiness, out of a sense of our own hopelessness apart from him. And so the servant says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. In other words, Just give me a little bit more time here, as as though time were were going to be the the answer to his problem, as though in the next few days, uh, this servant would, would be able to conjure up the millions and millions of dollars that are due from him. And I wonder if that would ever be like us. Do we ever think that if we just had more time, that we could get things together and meet God's standard? Do we ever think that we could come up with the resources on our own to make the payment for our sins? Well, as Christians, we come resting not in our abilities, not in our resources. We come resting not in our ability to pay, but we come resting in the payment of another. And that is, is that Christ has paid for all your sins. And that brings us to our second point. Next, we're going to look at a forgiven debt in verse 27. A forgiven debt. Well, how does the king respond to this man's plea for mercy? And We see his answer in verse 27. Notice that verse 27 starts off with the words, and out of pity for him. This is the first thing that we hear about this king, about his character, is that the king is moved in pity. The king is moved in compassion. He sees the helpless estate of this man that is brought before him. And so the king being moved in compassion, forgives the entire debt. He forgives not 5,000 talents of the debt, not even 8,000 talents or 9,000 talents, but he forgives every last penny of this debt. What a compassionate king this is. What a kind king. What a gracious king. What a merciful king. Do you think very often of God's forgiveness of your sins? He doesn't just forgive some of your sins, but your King forgives all of your sins. A few moments ago, um, we sang the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And um, I'll remind you of the words of the third verse. It says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, what? Not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Brothers and sisters, the full 10,000 talents of your debt has been paid in full. Well, I think oftentimes we need to be reminded of the mercy that is ours in Christ. Our sin is offensive to a holy God, and God would be just in giving us what we deserve. We deserve separation from God. We deserve condemnation from him. But because of Christ's work on the cross, we can now stand before God as being completely forgiven. He remembers our sins no more. And so if you come tonight and you are burdened with your sins, if you are burdened with the guilt of your own sins that are weighing on you, then I urge you to run to God for mercy. His arms of mercy are there to embrace you. I was reading this week, uh, Jonathan Edwards said that you could have as much guilt lying on your souls as all of the wicked people in the world. And yet if you come to God in Christ, he will pardon you through his mercy. We may freely come to him and cast our burdens upon him and rest on him. Well, it is in recognition of this wonderful mercy that we have received that we are called to turn and forgive one another. It is in recognizing what Christ has done that we respond in hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving for what he has done to us, and we extend that mercy to others. The foundation of our forgiving of others is first the forgiveness that we have received in Christ. When God saved us, he gave us a new heart. He saved us by an act of His grace, and so, just as we were saved by grace, it is by grace that we live, and it is by grace that we forgive one another. So, out of gratitude for this grace that we have received, we are to turn and forgive others. I like what R.C. Sproul said. He says, um, very um, as as a summary, he says, "We are a forgiven people; therefore, we must be a forgiving people." We are called to extend the forgiveness that we have received to others. And I think that there are several passages in the New Testament that uh, relate to this. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that we are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Also in Colossians 3.13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And of course, in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the petition to forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And so notice here that in all of these passages that there is a joint exercise here. There is a parallel act. It is God who takes the initiative. But then we are called to turn and exercise the same compassion and mercy that we have received onto others. So how does this practically work itself out in our lives? What are we to do with these with these passages? Well, in this Um, one another series that we're doing this fall, this is a very practical uh, set of sermons that we're looking at. We'll be looking at things like bearing with one another, teaching one another, serving with one another, how we are to relate with one another in the body of Christ, how we are to bring the scripture to bear in our ongoing interactions between others, how we are to be living lives that befit the gospel. And like many things in our faith, uh, forgiveness, as we said, is a very can be a very hard thing to do. In fact, it may be one of the hardest things that we do. Uh, and Peter, Peter knows that this is hard. I think this is why Peter's asking the question, how many times do I have to do this, Lord? This is painful. This is not something that I wake up in the morning and just look forward to, to doing. It, it hurts. And because it's so hard, I think that oftentimes you and I can avoid doing it. We can hesitate doing it. When, when we've wronged others, what do we do? We tend to rationalize the behavior. We tend to um, maybe overlook um, our behavior. We tend to hesitate to ask for forgiveness. And parents, you're familiar with this. When you tell your children to apologize to one another, uh, what do they oftentimes say? They say, well, the, the one child says to another, if I did something to make you mad, then I'm sorry. And uh, even as adults, that we, we can tend to do this. And we know that this is not a real apology. But on the other hand, when others have wronged us, we tend to expect an apology right away. We wonder, what's taking so long? Why why haven't they come to us and uh, and apologized? Well, there may be times in our lives when someone apologizes to us and we didn't even think it was necessary. We didn't even see the offense. We weren't expecting an apology. They might come to us and say, "Um, I apologize for this thing or that thing. And uh, you might say to them, well, Uh, I I appreciate uh, your forgiving heart. I appreciate your tender heart. I I appreciate you coming to me and letting me know about this, but I wasn't offended in any way by what you did to me. But there may be other times when someone may come to you and say, uh, look, I have sinned against you greatly. The things that I have done um, cannot express. I, I just can't express how sorry I am. And so I'm asking you for, for your forgiveness. I am pleading with you that you would forgive me. Well, how, what are we to do in this instance? Uh, when someone comes to us with a heartfelt need uh, that they have sinned against us and they come to us in repentance. Well, if someone comes to us in recognition of a sin that they've committed and they come in real repentance, then we as Christian brothers and sisters must forgive them. We must forgive them 70 times seven. Yes, it is hard and it is costly, but we are called to, to do that. As those who have had our sins forgiven, we must seek to forgive those who have sinned against us with all of our power to bring about reconciliation, to bring about restoration in that relationship. Jesus is saying here, Peter, I know how deep the infraction is that was caused from your Christian brother. I know uh, how hurtful that was. I know that, that wound was very hurtful for you. But the way that you were sinned against from your Christian brother or sister cannot compare to the way that you have sinned against your Heavenly Father. And by the way, your Heavenly Father has forgiven you freely. And so, therefore, having been freely forgiven, you are to make a practice of freely forgiving. Jesus is saying here that um, I'm not saying that forgiveness is something that is easy. But remember how much you owed God. Remember how much your offense was before him. Remember how much debt that you had incurred against him. And with that, you will be able to bear the cost yourself. And oftentimes, uh, especially in the household, um, we have to forgive the same sins over and over and over, don't we? Uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 17 that if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, then you are to turn to him seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And so Jesus here is laying down the principle that we are to forgive to the uttermost. That we have a duty to forgive our Christian brothers and sisters. Now, how does this principle apply to someone who might sin against you, but doesn't even recognize the sin? They don't recognize the fault. They don't see it as an offense. They haven't asked for forgiveness. So what do you do in that case? Well, I think that you would follow the principles laid out in um, Matthew chapter 18, that you would go to that brother or sister, you would show him the fault, and you would ask uh, for, and, and if they repented, then you would forgive them. And you would follow through um, with the outline that Jesus is giving us in Matthew 18. Even though you may not have a scriptural mandate to forgive someone, if they haven't repented of their sin, you can still have a forgiving spirit to that person if and when they do come to the point where they repent of their sin. You um, You can have a forgiving spirit towards them. You are to not harbor vengeance towards them. You are not to try to damage their reputation or to um, try to try to pay them back in some way. You can stand ready to forgive them when they confess their sins. Well, as Christians, we have an obligation to forgive anyone who comes to us asking for forgiveness. If we refuse to grant forgiveness after they have repented of their sin, then we open ourselves to the same fate as this unforgiving servant. We open ourselves to the judgment of God. We open ourselves to the severity of God. And so Jesus is about to paint us a picture here of someone who has a stingy, unmerciful spirit and the consequences that follow. And by the way, I think this is one of the scariest parables, perhaps, that Jesus teaches. He's going to show us what happens if we harbor resentment in our heart, if we harbor bitterness and retribution in our heart. And so this brings us to our third and final point, an unforgiven debtor in verses 28 through 35. Well, you would think that as this man leaves the king's presence, that he would be a changed man, that he would have a a different perspective, that he would have a relief that his sins have been forgiven, and that out of recognition for that, that he would be quick to forgive any others that have sinned against him. But the story begins to take a turn in verse 28. Verse 28. It is no longer the compassion of the king that holds our attention, but it is the cruelty of this forgiven servant whose debt has been canceled that holds our attention. And so this man, having just been forgiven, he walks down the steps of the palace and he encounters a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii, which was just a few dollars, a few bucks, a few days' wages Not very much, a few days of work. And how does he treat this man? We're told in verse 28 that he grabbed the man by the throat and he demanded immediate payment. Pay back what you owe me, he says. And this man fell down and and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Do these words sound familiar? The same words that the first servant used, aren't they? But he refused the man's plea and threw him into prison. And I think what Jesus is showing us here is that the first servant did not realize what he deserved. He deserved to be sold into slavery. He deserved to be punished. He deserved condemnation. And instead, he received mercy. But he showed no mercy in return. And so Jesus is putting this parable before us as a picture of what we owe God. The sins that our Christian brothers and sisters have committed against us cannot compare to the sins that we have first committed against God. Well, this act uh, didn't go unnoticed. The word got around town pretty fast, and other servants saw what had taken place, and they went in and reported to the king what had happened. They come up to the king, and they say, remember that servant of yours that you forgave that all that debt, too? And the king goes, yeah, yeah, I remember him. Well, you wouldn't believe what happened. He went and found another servant that owed him a a pittance, a small amount of money. And he strangled him and he threw him into prison. And you can imagine the king's response to this. The, The king is angry, and he summons his servant back in. Verse 32. You wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt. Because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? I think we see something similar after Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So our Lord here is giving us a warning against an unforgiving heart. He's giving us a warning here if we choose to not forgive one another. Now hear what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that you earn forgiveness because you forgive others. He is not saying that you merit the forgiveness of God on the grounds of you forgiving other people. But I think Jesus is saying this, that when you have received in your heart the grace of God, And when you have been forgiven of your sins, it cannot help but transform your heart to be merciful to those who have offended you. Jesus is saying that one of the signs in a heart that has been transformed by God's forgiveness is that that heart becomes forgiving. And that is because forgiveness is one of the marks of a true believer in Christ. And so if you are willing to forgive the sins of your Christian brothers and sisters who have sinned against you, then that can be a sign that your sins are also forgiven. But if you are not forgiving toward others, if you have a consistent practice of harboring uh, vengeance and retribution, if you have no desire at all to forgive one another, then that can be a sign that you have not been forgiven. And if this is the case, if, if this describes you, then you are like the servant. You are subject to the judgment of God. And if this is you, I would encourage you, do not wait until it is too late. I urge you to come to Jesus today. Well, in conclusion, the point of Jesus' teaching is clear. And that is that we have been the recipients of enormous mercy and compassion. If you are in Christ today, you stand as completely forgiven. Flowing out of that forgiveness, you are called to turn and exercise the same compassion that you have received. If you lack compassion in your hearts and you harbor vengeance on others, then God makes it clear that you will give up the forgiveness that has been given to you. And so as we prepare to go this evening, let me challenge you with something. If you find yourself in a quarrel with someone, it could be a spouse, it could be a a child, it could be someone in the church, if you find yourself in a quarrel, I I would challenge you to be the first one to forgive, to be the first one to restore the relationship, to be the first one to initiate reconciliation. And in doing so, you will gain your brother or sister, you will give yourself assurance of your own forgiveness, and you will point others toward the Lord Jesus. Let's pray.